Take your Bibles and go to the book of Job, chapter 29. Job 29. I got that really kind of deep masculine voice tonight, don't I? <clears throat> Lisa and I were with Burks this morning, right here in this very space, worshiping with them and preaching the word of God. And, <clears throat> and so I did get myself a water, but I don't know where I put it. Who's going to be so kind? To, especially or, um, one without backwash, babes, please. <laughs> I want to go to Job chapter 29 with you. If you could just bring me out just a smidgen, Dave, appreciate it. <clears throat> I want to talk about the good old days, but before we do that, before we do that, I just want to know, uh, there might be somebody here, just, yeah, a little bit more, there we go, a little bit more, it's coming through Sue Strong, <clears throat> that's better. Um, you might be uh, under the weight of something that's really difficult, and I know that it would be super, super courageous of you to say something out loud. Uh, but I just sense, thanks, babe. I just sense during the last song that uh, we need to have some prayer over each other. And so I know it's going to be, again, uh, really bold of you to admit that maybe something is going on in your world that you need some extra prayer for. And we want to come before the Lord on your behalf. We want to surround you. Um, but you don't even have to announce what it is specifically or give any detail. But if you just are feeling something, the weight of something, the difficulty of whatever it might be, uh, it might be a family member. It might be some kind of a physical issue. It could be a relational issue. Uh, it could be that in your mind you're being attacked with thoughts that are, are tormenting you. It could be many, many things. And so I just want to see your hand. If that is you, that you just need some prayer, and you're saying, I need some prayer. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just lift up your hand. I see you, brother, in the sound booth. Let's go before the Lord on behalf of these, these dear people that under some sort of attack, and they need some prayer from the, the people of God. Amen? Let's do that. Father, we come to you because you're our only hope. You are our rescuer. You are the rock that is higher than ourselves. And so, Lord, uh, people that are going through something, maybe mentally, relationally, physically, maybe it's a, 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 some form of a trauma. I, I don't know what it is specifically, Lord, but those who lifted up their hands, we pray over them. We pray peace that passes understanding. God, we pray that you would bring back the joy unspeakable and full of glory like Peter said. Father, we pray that they would just rest completely and totally in your loving provision, that you are there with them, that you're guiding them, that you're holding them, that you have not abandoned them. Maybe someone here feels like you are just left them. You, ha you don't care about them anymore. You're not involved in their life, whatever it may be. I pray, God, and we pray. We are, are coming to you, interceding for these dear people that that you would show up in their life tonight in a very personal and powerful way, that you would reassure them that you're there, that you're sovereign, that you're good, that you're providentially guiding their steps. We pray against the enemy, the devices of the devil, his wily ways. And so, God, we, we resist the devil steadfast in the faith, and your word says that he will flee. So I'm going to encourage all those who lifted up their hands for us to pray for you just quietly to yourself. Quietly to yourself. Don't say anything out loud. Just say to the Lord, I resist the devil, steadfast in the faith. Say that to him. I resist the devil, steadfast in the faith. God, we pray that you would open our understanding to the truth of Job chapter 29. Give us your truth. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Because we can't do this without you. We need illumination. We need revelation. 
We need inspiration. In Jesus' mighty name, and God's people say, are you still out there? <laughs> Amen? Amen. I'm going to go to Job chapter 20, and I'm going to look at all 25 verses with you and talk about the good old days. Has anybody ever used that reference before, the good old days? Have you ever said that or even at least thought that? You've got to be pretty old to start talking like that. If you're young, you don't really talk about the good old days like when you're seven, you know, or, or eight or nine. Or You start talking about the good old days as you get older. So Job chapter 29, Job is talking about the good old days. Now, I was born in what decade? Does anybody know what decade I was born in? Just say it out. The 60s. I was born in 1966. I do not remember anything of 1966. I can't go back to the good old days in my memory of that year. Other than what my mom has said, my dad has said, the pictures that were taken, the documentaries I've watched, but I can't go back to the good old days in the 60s. Now, when you get to the 70s, all I remember about the 70s was a lot of hair. Remember the big hair of the 70s? You're saying, that's like it is today. Well, you know what? Things cycle back, so I think the 80s are coming back, you know. And so, but I can't remember too much of the 70s as well other than the big hair. 80s is a little bit different. And so, good old days. Here's the definition of the good old days. I'm going to quote out of uh, Webster's Dictionary. A time in the past when you believe life was better. Let's talk about that because some of you are thinking about the good old days. You're thinking about something that had, had gone on maybe years ago. And you're thinking, well, I wish it was like that because my life isn't what I thought it was going to be. That's Job. Job is suffering. You remember, he's a blameless man before God. I mean, if there is anybody that we're familiar with, it's Job. Non-Christians are familiar with Job and the story of his immense suffering and the sovereignty of God and how, how God was moving inside, in and through Job's life and how he comes out the other side in chapter 42. And we'll look at that verse as we end it tonight. But in 29, he's talking about the good old days. Because when you're going through some difficulty, you're going through some trauma, you start to think about the good old days. I don't know about you, but I've shared some of my suffering, some of my traumas and stuff, and so in the middle of all of that, I'm looking back like Job did. And I'm looking back, and I'm going like, oh, God, if it was only like that again. It's, it's common. And so those who lift up your hands, whatever you're going through, you might be thinking some of your past, like going back. You're thinking back. I wish it was like that. I wish it was the kind of life I used to have or, or whatever. It usually happens in the midst of difficulty. We'll see that that's what Job is struggling with. Maybe you've been in a marriage for many years, and I've known people through the years of ministry, almost 30 years of ministry. Can you believe it? I am getting old. And so a lot of years of ministry, a lot of interacting with people, uh, people that have been married for a long, long time, and all of a sudden their spouse dies, and, and, uh, and the other person who's left behind uh, reminisces, and they think back of the good old days. And, and they think, well, this is, this is where God was really part of my life. This is where it was really happening, and my life now is just absolutely, completely a shambles. I can't really see the future. I don't know where my life is going is there any hope for me out, out in the front end? Very common in that situation. Perhaps your grandparent. Any grandparents in the house? And you're, you're loving it when the grandkids come over, but you're also loving it when they go back home, right? Come on. Because you've already done that thing. You've already raised your kids. Uh, but you're thinking back when your kids were young and when you're raising your children, when your grandkids come over, and you're, you're thinking about the good old days of some of those traditions and some of the things that you might have been a part of. How about sports? Memories, the good old days of sports. I want to look at this chapter. There's four thoughts that Job is going to give us. Verses 1 to 6. You'll see them on the screen. You might have gotten a handout. Hopefully you did. Here's number one. We're going to talk about the present involvement of God. Verses 1 to 6. The present involvement of God. In these verses, Job is reflecting, reminiscing on his relationship 
with God in the past and how much it seemed like he was so active and alive. Oh, right there, even that one point right there. Some of you are going, you know what, there was a day when, when Jesus was alive to me, when I walked with him, when I talked with him, when I was feeling his presence. And you're, you're, you're going to think like Job. We're going to look at these verses. You're going to go like, that's me, that is me. The present involvement of God, and Job is thinking to himself, there is no present involvement that I have with God. It doesn't feel like he's with me. It feels like he's left me. Look at the verses, verse 1. And Job again took up his discourse and said, now watch this closely, verse 2. Take your eyes to the text. Oh, that I were as. See that? Notice it. Job says, oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. See what he's doing? He's reflecting. He's, he's reminiscing. He's going back to the good old days of his, his walk with God. There was a time when Job walked with God and he was blameless and, and he was communing with God and he was next to God and he was feeling his presence and no longer. No more. At least he thought. It's a battle that everybody will struggle with when you go through intense and immense struggling. Oh, that I were as how often do we look back at the landscape of our lives longing for what used to be, longing for those days when we walked with Jesus and we had passion and we had excitement, we had fervor. He goes on to say, God watched over me. But by implication, in that one statement that Job made, he's not. Have you ever gotten to that place? Are you there tonight? What happened to me and you, God? This is Job. What happened to me and you? What happened to the life that we used to have? He noticed in the text, if you take your eyes to the verses again, he says, I walked through darkness. Do you see that little phrase there? I walked through darkness with God. With this touch on my life. In verse 4, he says, I was in my prime. <laughs> I was in my prime. Have you ever said that, guys? I won't say that to the ladies in the house, but have you ever said that? You're, you, you used to know the prime of life. Again, if you're not... Too old, you won't know what we're talking about. I like to watch TV on the floor, and I, I just, I don't like couches and chairs, so I lay on the floor. And back in the day when I was in my prime, I could leap to my feet in a single bound. <laughs> now it's like I get on one knee, you know, it's like, ugh, and then I'm leaning on something. Is this true? And I'm like, okay, I remember when I was in my prime. <laughs> so again, if you're young, you're like, don't get it. Wait till you get older. Job is thinking not about physical realities, spiritual realities, relationship with God. I was in my prime, he said. I remember the days that I had communed with you, God. It says in the text, if you notice, we'll keep going through it, the friendship of God was upon my tent. That's the presence of the Lord. So felt by Job at one time. One of the worst places to be Listen, one of the worst places to be is to feel like God is not near you. If you're a believer, if you love Jesus, you were converted, soundly converted. You were really redeemed. I'm not talking about false conversion or anything like that. But if you were really redeemed and Jesus became your everything. For me, it was about 30 years ago, my freshman year at college. I mean, Jesus was my everything. Maybe you made that decision years ago, but today you don't feel like he's your everything. What's happened? The good old days, spiritually. The good old days. This is a difficult place that Job is in, in the verses. But it's also common for us 
Have you ever heard the, the, the saying or the, the phrase, um, this is how we've always done it? In church planting, I hear that a lot when people come to visit our churches and want to be a part of it. Well, this is the way that we used to do it. And I'm like, wow, okay, let's, let's see if God wants us to do it here. It's always been done that way. That's another way of saying it. We've always done it this way. If we're not careful when we have this mentality, what can enter into our heart is a stubbornness to change. Harry Randall Truman lived at the base of Mount St. Helens. Now, some of you weren't even born in 1980. How old was I in 1980, Don? Help me out. I was 66, 76. I was about 14 years old. Mount St. Helens is a mountain out in Washington State, and Harry Randall Truman lived at the base of the mountain, and and the scientists and and, uh, people that research volcanoes went to Harry Truman and said, you need to leave. You need to get out of here because you're going to die. Harry Truman was thinking about the good old days. This is, and he, he had entertained this so long, all of the years, the memories, the emotions, the connections, the relationships, all of the things that had happened in his house, he wasn't, he wasn't going to leave there. And a stubbornness to change had entered into his spirit and into his soul. And on May 18th, Mount St. Helens erupted and immediately killed Harry Truman. Tragic. Harry couldn't let go of all of those memories and emotions in the good old days, and he lost his life. The change was too much. God wants to do a present and fresh work in all of our lives. Where this is coming from is not long ago. It was about a a month and a half ago. Uh, People have asked me about Harvest Reading and building churches and planting churches and pastoring and all that kind of thing, and I appreciate all of those comments and conversation. I really do. But I found myself thinking, not about the present work of God in my life or our life. I was going back to 24-7 when I was a youth pastor. I'm going back 20 years, really? You know, 20 years, God showed up. And I'm so excited about it, telling people about what happened when I was a youth pastor, how it was almost revival that broke out in our small town where hundreds and thousands of teenagers were coming. It was crazy. And then I, I would talk about Creation Church, and that happened a decade ago, you know, and I'm thinking, Wow. God did something a decade ago. Then the Spirit of God just started, Chris, I want to do something now. I want to do something in this present moment with Harvest Bible Chapel Reading. But see what I was doing? I was falling into this same thing. Like Job was thinking, the good old days, God, you showed up in my life back then, but you're not showing up now. And he started to tell me, Chris, I want to do something now, fresh, brand new. Do you feel that in your life spiritually? Are you like, man, I'm living on all of that back then. I want something now. I want it now. How many people like to go to the grocery store? Anybody a shopper here? Anybody a guy that goes with the wife and you just want to be a good husband and keep the marriage going and you go to the grocery store? I try to do that, go shopping as much as I can. My wife says, please come with me, please come with me. So I go. When you go into the produce section, what are you looking for? Are you looking for those strawberries that has the little green blue fur on it? You know, are you going to the banana section looking for the bruises and the bumps and the brown spots? When you go to the, the produce section of any grocery store, if you're like me, you go looking for what? Fresh produce. God wants to do something fresh in all of our lives tonight. 
For some of you, it might be conversion for the first time. Born again. This will be a glorious day for you. Here's, here's what Isaiah 29, 19 says. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. I brought with me just a beautiful fragrance of freshness. How many people know this is of the Lord, huh, these things? <laughs> and so it's like, can you imagine all of life with this, this feeling of freshness, the smell? It's just wonderful. Wouldn't it be awesome to walk with this through the rest of your life? Some with OCD might. It's like, God, you're showing up. It's like, it's like yes, Lord, yes, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I mean, it can happen like that. It can really happen. So are you coming to Harvest Writing tonight just to kind of walk through the motions, kind of do the church thing, try to investigate something, or have you come to meet with God? I was in that room over there praying for, I don't know, half an hour. God, I want to meet with you. We got to meet with you. I want a present move of God in Reading. I don't want to go back whatever happened in the past, and maybe it was cool. Maybe you had some great experiences with God in church. But what about today? Job is working through a lot of stuff here. Matthew chapter 9, don't turn there. Jesus talks about fresh wineskins. You don't put fresh wine in old wineskins. It's time for a new wineskin, Harvest Reading. A new one, a fresh one. Here's some things that are new in the Bible, right? Our New Testament. Did you know it was called that, the New Testament? How about a new covenant? It's not an old covenant, it's a new covenant. God is, is talking about a new covenant. How about a new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you, that you love one another? How about a new heavens and a new earth one day? And I, I think the earth we have now is pretty incredible. A new heavens and a new earth. Something new. I read these books recently, and I, as I was preaching the Burks, I wanted them to know that I, I truly love their pastor that passed away about two months ago and went to heaven, Tim Cranick. Tim asked, he said to me before he passed away, you can have any book that is in my library. And so uh, I couldn't imagine what Tim's going through right now. It's just awesome. Huh? Can you think about that? Heaven, face-to-face -face with God. So Tim said, my library is your library. This is some weeks before he passed. And so uh, Lisa was praying to the Lord one day, because I was not in a really good place about a month and a half, two months ago. I was just finding myself just kind of like going back like Job. You know, nothing's happening now, God. Nothing's happening now. You know, but way back then it did. So she was like, you know, it would be really cool, God, if Chris read Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. She didn't tell me that. She was talking to the Lord about that. So we're here setting up one day, and I go into Tim Cranick's office, which is over there across the lobby, and all of a sudden I notice on the bookshelf, it's just sitting there all by itself. And I was like, hey, hon, here's Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. I think I'll read it again. She told me afterwards, I was praying that you would read that book. My copy of this is up in Massachusetts in all my boxes of books. Tim Simbla also wrote a book called Fresh Faith. Who needs fresh faith tonight? Who needs the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to blow into your life in a spectacular way? This book helped me to come back to my spiritual senses. And I praise God for that. So let me ask you some questions. We'll keep moving through this. What is God doing in your life today? If I went up to you afterwards, we had a casual conversation. I said, what did God speak to you this past week? And you went, uh, I can't think of anything. You're where Job was at. 
Number two, not just the present involvement of God, but number two, the person of influence with others. It's in verses 7 down to verse 11, the person of influence with others. Job's reflecting on the move. He, goes, he moves beyond this perspective of the absence of God in the present moment to the person of influence that he used to be. Wherever Job went, his influence extended out. Look at verse 7. I'm going to read down to verse 11. So if somebody is sleeping next to you, would you just nudge him real quick? Go ahead. Take a peek. If they are, just give him an elbow in the ribs. Number 7. I just heard somebody wake up. <laughs> you must have got the, the rib, right? <laughs> it's warm in here, I know. That path no bird of prey knows. Am I in the right one? Sorry, wrong chapter. I'm in 28. Verse 7. When I went out to the gate of the city... And when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew. And the aged rose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The voice of the nobles were, was hushed, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouth. And when the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it approved. Man, he had such incredible influence. Now remember, good old days. This is back in the day, not in the present moment for Job. And he's working through all of that. He's got, God, I used to have huge, huge influence. I remember being at our 10-year anniversary of the church that we planted. It wasn't too long ago. I don't know if you remember us, Lisa and I, leaving to go up to Massachusetts, but we went up there. And, of course, uh, it was just packed, full of people, and they're celebrating. We're worshiping Jesus in song. There were testimonies and a brief message and things like that. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, wow, uh, the influence, Lord, of a day gone by. And I was just reflecting and thinking. And a lady came up to me afterwards and she said, uh, I just want to thank you for starting the church. I didn't recognize her. She was new since we left three years ago. She goes, I just want to thank you for starting the church. And I said, well, it was started in suffering. And I thought, wow, the influence of a day gone by and at that time, I wasn't doing so hot here in this context. I was a little discouraged. And I'm thinking, I kept going back in time, the influence. No, no, no. Job, get back to where you're at, the influence today. And where are you influencing people that you know in school, where you work? What causes the influence of a believer to diminish? If your influence has diminished as a Christian or even as a church, what is causing that? Can I just say it to you? It's a lack of change. It's a lack of change, individually and corporately. It happens in all of our lives. It's called theological, uh, the theological term is called uh, progressive sanctification. There needs to be a, a progress of our sanctification, our growth. In other words, if, if you're the same person you are today as you were last year, there's a serious problem. A serious problem. There needs to be this continuous growing, and that requires changing Change doesn't necessarily mean compromise. I talked about that with Burks. Not so much here with our, our church today, tonight, Harvest Reading, because you guys are more familiar with change, but other churches that are really locked into some things that they've been doing for a lot of years can struggle with change. I also read a book by uh, A.W. Tozer. I picked this off of the shelf, too, Tim Cranick's shelf in his office, and... I just want to quote just a little bit of the first chapter that Tozer. Are you familiar with A.W. Tozer, if I were to say Tozer? Some of you? He quotes uh, Deuteronomy 1, 5 to 8 here. I did some highlighting because it was so powerful. 
The first chapter is called The Christian's Greatest Enemy. The Christian's Greatest Enemy. And he's quoting out of Deuteronomy 1, 5 to 8, when the people of God are, are camped out at the mountain of God. It says here, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Some of you have stayed at the mountain of God. And this is what Tozer's saying is the greatest enemy. And he's going to go on to talk about some things I'm going to quote real quick. But some of you have been at the mountain of God. It's this place right here. And God is going to say to you, you need to move out of that. It's time for you to move on. That's what he's saying to Job in 29. You had influence back in the day. You're going to have influence in the future. But you've got to move from this place where you're at, Job. It goes on, break camp. This is Deuteronomy 1 again. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. I have given you this land. There's a land that all of us have, figuratively speaking. And God's saying to you tonight, go get the land. But for you to go get the land and influence others, again, you're going to have to move from where you're at. You can't stay where you are. We can't stay where we are as a church. Tozer said this, Israel became accustomed to walking around in circles. That's what Christians do. Churches do that. They just walk around in circles. They were blissfully content to stay by the safety of the mountain for a while. To put it another way, it was the psychology of the usual. That's why when we come to church, it shouldn't be just a a usual, casual, routine, rote thing. If God is showing up in his house with his people, that should do something to all of us. And if you come here and you sit here, you walk through the motions, you get up and you leave, and you're not any different, you haven't met with God. You haven't met with him. Because anybody who comes face to face with God leaves different. They do. Tozer's fierce, man. You read this book and you're just like, ouch. It says Israel's problem was that they had given up hope of ever getting the land that God had promised them. They had become satisfied with going in circles and camping in nice, comfortable places. They had come under the spell. This is interesting. He calls it the spell of the psychology of the routine. So when I, when I encourage you or try to persuade you or try to motivate you to break out of your comfort zones, do you know what I'm trying to do for you? Something that is, is loving. Because some of you have been stuck in a routine for weeks, months, and even years. And you're in trouble. Spiritually. Don, you, you kind of looked at my notes. You must have earlier, so because I'm going to say something that was very similar to what you're thinking. Because if, if someone offered you, think about this, if someone offered you, because God wants to do a fresh thing, he does. Someone offered you a brand new car, and it didn't cost you anything. Some of you are thinking, oh man, that's awesome, because I'm driving around in an 82 Ford Pinto with the fake wood grain held together with duct tape and Bondo. Man, if somebody gave me a brand new car, that would be awesome. didn't cost you a thing. Would you take it? How many people would take it? It's not a trick question. Every hand should be like, yeah, yeah, of course. But you ever gotten into in a new car, maybe a brand new car, maybe new to you, and you're not familiar with it? Is there a change involved in all of that? Of course. Like, where's the windshield wipers? Okay, where's this? Where's that? And it's a little bit frustrating. Well, because you're frustrated, do you say to yourself, I'm just going to take that car back because I'm too frustrated? No. You go with the change. You go with the change. Why won't we do that in our spiritual life? Or our churches. It's crazy. God is wanting to do a new thing. And when we don't keep changing, now watch this. 
When we don't keep changing, and Job is struggling with this, but we're going to look at a verse in 42 that's going to bring it all together. We become disconnected from the culture, and influence is lost. If you don't keep changing, you know what's going to happen to you spiritually, and me, and our church? There's going to be an increasing gap, and we're not going to be able to reach the world. This is what happens to churches. And so, if there is a group, and this is going to be so easy for you to answer this question, so easy. If there is a group that's nearby, that hasn't remained current, that hasn't changed, a people group, who would you think that they are? They're not too far away from here. Who are they? Burke's got it just like that. The Amish. The Amish. You go down Route 222 there, you got some in Burke's County. They're stuck in the, the 19th century. They're not current. They're not changing. If I went up to an Amish, I've had conversations with Amish. I never asked them this question. I was, I was just too afraid maybe. I wanted to be respectful. But if you went up to an Amish person, maybe an older Amish person, you said, you know what, you need to do this, and you need to change that, and you know, you can get a car and do all. Do you think they're going to change? They're not going to change. I just wonder how many Christians are like that. If I went to you and I said, listen, brother, sister, I really love you, I care about you. I've done this numerous times in the last 30 years. I care about you and I love you sincerely. But this is an area of life you might want to look at and you might want to change. What would your response to me be? Would you be like, I need to look at that. Thank you. Or would you push back like an Amish person trying, trying to convince them to change their whole life? Churches, Christians, influence. We're losing our influence because we're not wanting to change. read another little book. I've referenced it. This is like book night, huh? I'm going to move pretty quickly through the rest of this. This is a book I referenced, I don't know, maybe a week or two. Who moved my pulpit? And it's a story about a pastor that wanted to bring change. Uh, and so I, I, I love Burks, and I was in a pulpit. There used to be a pulpit there, but we moved it. <laughs> and it's over there. Now, we wouldn't do that at Burks, respectfully, because there's just a lot of dynamics when you get into churches that have been doing something the same way for decades. But I wanted to bring a truth to them because they're at a place where they need a pastor and they need to make some changes or they're going to die. That's what's going to happen. And so this book was about a pastor who came into a church very similar to that and wanted to make changes. Real driven guy. Real mover and shaker. And so one day he got this bright idea that he wanted to get a more modern pulpit instead of the old wooden one. And so he moved the wooden one out, put it into a closet, and he put in its place a real modern-looking pulpit. So he comes in the following Sunday, and he gets down about the middle aisle, notices that the pulpit has been changed back, and he goes, Who moved my pulpit? That's why the book is titled, Who Moved My Pulpit? In this, I'm going to quote five unmovable church members. Are you ready? I had a guy come up to me after today. He's a great guy. I just love him. I love him. If I mention his name, some of you might know who he is. He goes to Burks. But he goes, uh, what was that fifth one? You missed one. It was, it was five, but you only gave me four. Actually, I did give him the fifth one, but he wasn't listening. So maybe he was, I said to him, maybe that's you, man. <laughs> it was fun. It wasn't mean or anything. It was just like it, it rolled. Here, Tom Rainier gives five kinds of unmovable church members. See if you can find yourself here. Hopefully not. Deniers. These deny that there's any change that needs to happen. Would you say that there should be some change in your life as a Christian? How many people say, yeah, I'm a Christian. There should be some ongoing change in my life. 
Absolutely. How about in the church? Constant change should be happening. But a denier would say no. Here's another one. Those who have entitlement issues. They expect what they want, and they don't want anything to upset their church or their life. That's an entitlement. Here's another one. Blamers. This is the one that my friend this morning didn't write down for some reason. A blamer is, it's the pastor's fault, it's the culture's fault, it's always somebody else's fault. Unmovable church member. Here's another one, critics. These are the people who come out like cucarachas, and they're, they're like, the people are saying. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've, I've had people in, in the church planting world and pastoral world, they would come up to me and they'll go something like this, hey pastor, people are saying. Really? And then I'll say something well, how many? Well, there. Oh, I ask you, how many? You know how many there usually is? <laughs> maybe one, and maybe even not one, it's them. They're critics. They're unmovable church members. They're everywhere. Hopefully not here. So please don't come up to me and go, the people are saying. I'll go, really? Who? Well, I don't want to say. <laughs> Critics. Last one. Unmovable church member. The confused. These are the people that just hang on to tradition. And these are dear people. Some of these people are Berks. They're just confused. They don't know what to do. Their pastor's gone. And they need some, some help. And that's why I go in on Sunday mornings to help. To love them. To shepherd them. And to try to persuade them about some things. They need that. Number three, let's move on. We're running out of oxygen in this place, right? The pursuit of impact toward others, verses 12 to 17. Notice verse 12, because I delivered the poor who cried for help. Watch the impact that, that Job is talking about here. And the fatherless who have none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. This is awesome. Remember, good old days though, not present. He's looking back. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. And I searched out the cause of him who I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous. You go for it, Job. And made him drop his prey from his teeth. <laughs> this is Job. He's talking about this, this impact toward others. The pursuit that he had. He accomplished so much with his life. He made an impact on all of those around him. But now he wonders. The good old days mentality. If you get stuck with this mentality, honestly, you don't start thinking about people impacting other people. You don't think about the people that are on the outside. And I'm so glad Brad and Tim thought about me who was on the outside. I wasn't a Christian. I was a good old Catholic boy. I didn't know Jesus personally. And they said to me, you want to go to church, youth group? And I was like, what is that? The only thing I asked them was one thing. Do you remember what I asked us? Do you have any good-looking girls there? That's, that's what I asked him. He said, yes, we have lots of them. And I said, I'll go. And God used that. But you don't, you don't think about it. When you're, when, you don't, you're, not, you're looking back, you're looking back impact, like Job, but you're not thinking the people around us. There's so many around us that don't know Jesus. And I've sat and I've watched and counted out that front door how many cars go by this church. And they're, they're, it's like almost every two seconds a car goes by. Probably don't know Jesus, the people in that car. 
Do you think they recognize this church? Do you think they know this church is here? They don't. I've asked so many people, yeah, we meet down at Burke's Bible. They're like, Burke's Bible? I didn't say this this morning out of sensitivity for them. I did mention the whole car thing about impacting others on the outside because they need to think about that again. I visited a church not long ago. <clears throat> I actually preached there a couple of weeks ago, but about a month ago I visited there, and I walked into the building, and the light was turned off in the lobby. When I come in, I'm like, <laughs> there's nobody there. And so I walk in, and then there's an auditorium to my left, and there's this group of people, about 25, they're just looking at me. Not one of them said hello. Not one of them came over and greeted me. But it's just not that church. And it could be Harvest Reading if we're not careful. We've got to think about the people that are on the outside. We get the mentality, us four, no more. Job was dangerously close to this. It's all about him. He's got to be careful of that. And when you get to this place, you, you, you get into a rut. This is a rut. Has anybody ever been in a spiritual rut? Spiritual rut. Raise your hand. This is honest confession time. Anybody in a spiritual rut right now? Okay, thank you. It's okay to admit that. I drove a FedEx truck uh, many, many, many years ago, and I'm the kind of FedEx driver that I'll take your package wherever, man. If you live out in the boondocks, up into the woods, you know, where nobody other than Bigfoot lives, then I'm going to find you. That's the, my mentality as I'm driving my FedEx truck. I mean, I was fierce about that. I wanted to be a loyal deliverer of packages. This is about 12 years ago. And so I'm driving my FedEx truck. I pull over to the edge of the road, and it's in this, like, gully. It's in this, like, half ditch. It had snowed. There's light snow in the ground. There's a lot of wet leaves. So I get back in my truck, and I try to move out of that rut, and I can't get anywhere. I mean, the wheels are spinning, and, and I'm panicking. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. And so there's some houses that are on that street, and I went and I got a shovel out of somebody's front porch. They weren't even home. I just kind of went in their house. I was panicking. I'm like, I got to get out of here. I need a shovel. I knocked on the door. Nobody answers. There's a shovel sitting there. I said, I'm just going to borrow it. So I took it, went back to the, I'm digging, putting stuff in front of the tires. I can't, I can't do anything to get myself out of the rut. But then I prayed. I said, God, please get me out of the rut. Please get me out of here. Within one or two seconds of that prayer, there's this garbage truck that comes down this street. And he goes, hey, I got a big chain. Do you want me to pull you out of there? I said, no, that's okay. Have a good day. I said, yes. He put that chain on my truck, pulled me right out of the rut. And he said to me, you know what? It's kind of odd because I wasn't supposed to come down this road today. <laughs> Some of you are in a rut. We had one person raise their hand, but there's others, I think. Call in the name of the Lord. He's going to pull you out of that rut supernaturally and miraculously. Here's number four, and we'll finish with this. We'll call it the possession of the insight in myself. This is in verse 18 to 25. Job is, again, thinking about the good old days of how wise, how much knowledge he was getting downloaded from God. He had, he had dried up, though. There wasn't fresh, current truth that was gripping him. How many people have been around the Christian church for quite a while? Raise your hand. Been around the Christian church. Maybe been under preaching, underneath the Bible, around the Bible. Raise your hand. How many people know that? You can put a lot of knowledge in your head and not impact your heart. <laughs> right? That's where Job is struggling right here. The Bible becomes facts. It becomes just pumping knowledge into your brain. There are people that are called sermon tasters. 
sermon tasters. I get nervous for churches that are just looking for preachers to preach the word. Just bring another sermon so I can listen to another sermon. But they have no intention of obeying the word of the Lord. They just want to hear Bible knowledge. There's something incredibly dangerous about that. Paul said knowledge puffs up. Let me give you an illustration, and I'm going to end. <clears throat> an illustration. Uh, many, many years ago, this is, I have a visual aid on this. I have an iPhone that's pretty much a dinosaur because this is like a five, and I think number eight is out, right? But anyhow, this is my iPhone. And so on this iPhone is my alarm clock. This is how I wake up sometimes in the morning. In fact, this morning, to be able to make it to Burke's and get ready and all that kind of thing, I used my alarm, so I, I punched it all in. Back in the old days, an alarm clock didn't have all the options today, like butterflies and, and you know, like water that's pouring just so wonderfully and motorcycle, whatever. I mean, it's crazy. It has a whole list of things I could have chosen. But in the old days, you had an alarm clock. It just had like a couple of bells on top of this round thing. And that, that thing made the most ungodly sound, right? I mean, when you woke up, it wasn't like you, were, you had the joy of the Lord, right? Come on. And so... It's, you don't want to put your feet on the ground because you're just like aggravated, you're tired, you're, you're just sore, maybe a lot's going on in your life. And then you have this alarm clock that goes off. Here's the point. Sometimes you're frustrated at that alarm clock, right? I mean, back in the day, that, that alarm clock, i just hold that thing and just be like, you know, come on, smash it. You're agitated. Why are you agitated? Because something has to change. You have to get out of bed. You've got to be somewhere. You've got to start moving. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, awake to righteousness. My job as a pastor and a preacher, and I said this to Burks, I'll say it to any church that will listen. My job as a preacher is to persuade you. It is try to say to you, it's time to wake up. Spiritually, it's time to wake up. Some of you have been asleep. Some of you haven't changed as you need to change. Some of you are in a rut so as an alarm clock, I know that it agitates and irritates to say things like, you know what, today would be a real good time for you to wake up from your sleep spiritually. Harvest Reading, if we have any chance, any chance at all, to glorify God and make an impact, we have to believe that today is the day and into our future, that God is going to use us huge. Not just the good old days. And if you're looking back to the good old days of your relationship with Jesus, and nothing is really going on now, during this last song, talk to the Lord about that. Come back to him. Wake up. Let's all stand.